You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw. We will now continue with the introduction to political philosophy considerations, and we will do the second section of Simone's A General Theory of Authority. Remember, that book was divided into three parts, the first part having to do with the necessity, uh, the natural necessity, and the arguments for authority uh, for a group, even if they were not uh, at fault, no error or no um, defect in them. The second two, the one on uh, the place of truth, of, of authority in regard to truth and the authority in regard to the acquiring of the good were called substitutional because the uh, authority was only necessary in case one couldn't see the argument. Simon's book, as you see, is a sophisticated philosophical argument about the meaning and place of authority, both as a rule of the self over the self, that is a reason's rule over the self, and as a rule and measure of one's actions in a group or a political life. So a measure of an action means that that's the intelligibility that you're acting on. I'm driving 25 miles an hour according to the law, the reason, the intelligibility. The book has many uh, uh, shorter treatises on love, friendship, freedom, truth, gifts, common good, science, knowledge, obedience. Again, it is a book in the general area of Aristotle's ethics and politics and Cicero's on duties. It is also a book on the effect of Rousseau's effort to eliminate the need of any authority, which was, in uh, effect, uh, an effort to dismiss any need of authority from either personal, familial, or political life. I'll remember this when we come to Rousseau later on. This is a book in political philosophy. That is, what is the ground of political things or where do politics fit into the order of things? Politics are not nothing, and they are not everything. To understand a thing means to understand the limits by which it is this thing and not that thing. The palace, or the, uh, the state, is not a family, nor property, though they are related. Political philosophy is not metaphysics, theology, or physics, though they are related. Simon remarks this quotation. It has often been said that the ethics of Aristotle is political and that his politics are ethical. Recall the number of times political words appear in the ethics. This is a nicely balanced 
proposition uh, and it happens to express the, uh, the case with perfect accuracy. Any quality concerned with the good use of uh, man's abilities is ethical uh, by essence. A good painter will do a good painting if he wants to, but his art, which may be uh, placed at the service of an, an army, may also be engaged uh, in immoral purposes, so it could use for either place, uh, purposes. And let us now see what happens if the quality proper to the uh, statesman is interpreted as an art. Recall the distinction in Book 6 of the ethics between art and prudence. So let's suppose you consider politics not to be, a, or not to consider a prudence, but an art. If a statesman is, by hypothesis, an artist or a technician, and this is really Machiavelli's position, there must be about him, above him, a wise person in charge of all questions relative to use. But the statesman, or Aristotle, is precisely this wise man, this wise person, prudence or practical wisdom. A description of this uh, political leader as technician merely serves to postpone the analysis of the main issue. A time comes when we uh, have to uh, consider the qualifications required for the right use of the technical instruments which happen to be uh, of uh, relevance in political life. Then and only then we begin to study statesmanship it's on page 139 to 40. You will notice that the discussion of political leadership in chapter 4 follows precisely from the theory of the need for authority uh, in practical affairs and the situation of those who are not uh, this leader is, determined, is, is determining their own moral stance. The burden of moral life becomes increasingly oppressive when we have leaders who are are not themselves wise, and thus uh, throw the burden of action on those who should be busy with other things, as is indicated by the principles of autonomy or subsidiarity and authority. There is, then, a good discussion of the nature of theoretical uh, liberalism in its various uh, incarnations in this book. This is placed within our discussion of truth and its relation uh, to uh, will and intellect. This is the importance also of the discussion of the witness and the difference between practical and theoretical truth. So practical truth means the conformity of the thing made 
or the thing I want to make to the thing made, and theoretical truth means the conformity of my mind to what is really there. Read again the introductory remarks uh, in chapter 3 about what is a question, uh, when is a question one of practical intellect and when one of theoretical intellect. So, practical intellect wants to know what is to be done, and theoretical intellect wants to know what is a thing. This distinction is one of the primary uh, divisions of reality. That is, between those things that are simply there through no human causality and those things which are there because of human causality. So, if you make a bread, the bed is there because of human causality. If you do an act of courage, that is existence because you put it in existence. <clears throat> Thus, virtues and vices and the in-betweens of continence and incontinence are there because of human causality, which is why we are in the, they are in the ethics uh, and not in the metaphysics. Again, the structure of the book is a systematic argument. That is, you have to use your mind to follow out the connections between propositions and conclusions, the theoretic discussion about what it means to be, by nature, a political animal, as Aristotle said. Being a political animal is consequent on being a rational animal. That is, a being in which there are, by nature, parts to uh, be self-ruled and therefore a power to rule them. So that's what we have in it. We have things that need to be ruled. We need to rule our passion, our anger. Simon's discussion of what it is to be a person is very important as it again grounds the notion of what is the ultimate locus of reality. States and communities are not persons though the law creates so-called legal persons or corporations. The emphasis on persuasion is simply another way of saying that even in politics, the primary mode of action should, be, uh, should proceed from understanding and not from coercion, which is a sign that reason doesn't rule somebody. Coercion is always substitutional, that is, it's the substitution for reason. But that does not mean that its use as such is irrational. That is, coercion or force has a reasonable use through law or guidance sometimes. It would be better if it did not exist, but it exists because individual persons do not rule themselves and the subsequent effect on someone else requires that they be ruled, if necessary, by coercion. This latter issue was what was covered, in a way, by the topic of legal justice in Book 5 of the Ethics. The legal justice was that all uh, acts of virtue, in some sense, 
could have uh, a law made about them because they were necessary for the common good. On the other hand, the need for coercion, as indicated in Book 10 of the Ethics, arises when reason fails in individual cases. So when the young men leave the family without virtue and, and proceed to act uh, contrary to virtue in a public order, something needs to be present to control them if necessary by force. And hence the law has coercion, a coercive aspect in addition to its reasonable or normative aspect, as we will see when we come to Aquinas. Thus, this book has two general divisions. One, when and why is authority necessary? And two, when and why is authority useful? So the first part is that first section that he deals with. The second one, when it is useful, is the discussion of truth and the discussion of good in the later two chapters. There are two basic arguments about why it is necessary and hence uh, would exist even if there were no deficiencies, that is, if everyone were perfectly reasonable and virtuous, which in fact they are not, but that does not obviate the principle at stake. So if they were perfect, would we still need a polis, that is, a formal organization of parts into a whole with definite rules and laws. The burden of Simone's argument, and it is an argument that is a demonstration of why things fit together, is that the polis is necessary to provide a source of authority to decide what to do in particular at this time and this place and these circumstances about some issue. Simone is not directly concerned, this is important to understand, he's not directly concerned with what is authority to look like, that is, how is it configured. That can be, uh, that can in general vary. Uh, some configurations are better than others, some better for this people and not for that, as Aristotle said. Aristotle's discussion of the six simple regimes and the mixed regime in uh, the politics deals not with whether authority is philosophically necessary, but with the question of how it is, how is this authority, once recognized intellectually to be necessary, is <coughs> to be configured. Simone used the example of a direct democracy to make his point in another way. That is to show that even in a system where the rulers and the ruled are the same people, remember a citizen is sometimes uh, a citizen in Aristotle is someone who rules and is ruled, that is, uh, uses his mind in both cases. There is still a distinction that the, uh, when the citizen is a direct democracy, where the citizen and the rulers are the same people, there is still a distinction between the act of ruling, that is, say, making uh, an informed choice on what to do and being ruled, 
that is observing the law as a citizen back home. Thus the two arguments about unity of action and the material willing of the common good are intended to demonstrate, that is to give an argument that concludes to, the, to an obvious truth once it is understood, that is, once the argument is understood, that the state exists because it is reasonable for human purposes. That is, that they be what they are, that the people be what they are, it is reasonable that you have a policy with authority. If we had to do everything ourselves, <clears throat> we could little more then stay alive. So if everybody has to do everything, getting water, food, and everything like that, as opposed to a subdivision of specialties, then all we could do is spend our time staying alive. The notion of a common good means that many really good things can exist for everyone because none of us has to do everything by ourselves so people can specialize. And therefore, we need exchange of uh, goods and services. Since we do so many different things, we need some framework or order in which this exchange uh, or communication of other goods is possible. The old principle that in order for the whole to be the whole, the parts must be the parts applies here. So in order for the whole of a bicycle to be a bicycle, the handlebar has to do what it does, the pedals have to do what it does, and the wheels have to do what they do, and they can't be interchanged for the whole bicycle. The common good does not mean that we should and have a broad uh, talents that we are apparently de developing or developed but that the sum total of human good is so vast that we can only participate in many of them as receivers. That is, if someone else does them or makes them in the first place, well, we do something else. Simon's basic principle about the material willing of the common good as an argument is that the authority wants that these many particular goods exist as proper exercises of human powers, of the intellect and will and hands, seeking to bring forth some real good. So the first argument, the argument from unity of action, means uh, that the more intelligent we are, the more free we are. If we have a choice between ten different things, that we could do for uh, some purpose uh, and 10 different ways to do it, and all of them are more or less reasonable, we have to agree, one, to stay together, and two, we have to agree that we will follow the authority who chooses the one because we can't do all nine at the same time. And so the unity of action means we're going to stick together to do all these things. And the only time authority wouldn't be necessary is everybody, if everybody agreed on what is to be done. The material willing of the common good means that formally everyone should will the common good, but that doesn't mean that everyone can necessarily agree that everything 
that the authority decides for the common good is one that he would choose. So you have to have somebody who makes a decision about which place, the, how the whole order fits together in order that the parts may continue to be parts. So we want the parts to be the parts, and therefore we want people who are in charge of the parts to protect their job as parts so that the whole would be the whole. The discussion of Simon on the intellect on the intellect in chapter 3 presents what truth is and how we acquire it. This is where his teaching uh, section, it's where when his discussion about teaching comes in. It emphasizes the nature of our intellect, which is itself defined by Aristotle as the power to know all things. Thus, in some sense, the goods that are not ourselves uh, become ourselves. So the things that are, we, that are out there that are not ourselves, they become ourselves through knowledge. This is why, as I, I ask, why is it all right to be a human being? So you know, it's all right to be a human being, which means you're not everything else in the world or anything else in the world. You're just this small, tiny human being. Why is that all right? And the answer is, it is all right because we have minds. And minds can know these things so that we can become them, know them by virtue of our mind. No one is better than Simon on this topic. The second half of the book asks another question, not why is authority necessary and in what circumstances, basically in practical affairs, that is say in making things or doing things, acquiring virtue, or running a palace, or a corporation, or a family. But whether authority is useful, so the second thing in, in discussion of truth, whether authority is useful in theoretic matters of the pursuing of truth and the good. <clears throat> so, to know the truth should be, I see the argument for it. Sometimes I don't see the argument for it. I need to know whether the thing is true or not so I can take it on authority that this is so. So, for example, if you're, something is wrong with your car and you don't know what the answer to it is, you go to a mechanic. The mechanic knows what the answer is. He does whatever he has to do. The car works. You are there, merely there, as someone who is a spectator, and therefore your reliance on him to fix your car is one that he is the authority and you recognize that he knows the truth of how to fix your car. And you don't. So therefore, authority in that sense is a good thing for you because otherwise you wouldn't know it, even though perhaps you could go out and learn how to do it. Simon's principle here is simply that in theoretical matters, authority is always substitutional or the result of a deficiency. But for all that, it may be quite useful and normal, and we could not really live without it. So that is to say, if we had to go around and prove whether all the food we eat is okay, whether the doctors are well qualified, all these things, uh, we could never do anything. So we have authorities which uh, attest to the uh, worthiness of our doctors, of our food, of our schools, and all this kind of thing. For example, any of you could learn uh, what sorts of problems are connected with improving water or milk. 
you drink both, uh, uh, rarely beer or something like that, but you may drink that. You drink it in peace because you rely on the authority of the FDA or some such outfit to say that this is what it says it is. A beer, not a poison, say, or a milk, not a poison. You do not know just why pure water is pure in the practical sense of how to uh, be sure it is so. But you could learn to do so if you wanted to. But since you prefer to read Aristotle or to do something else, you just rely on the authority whose job it is to find out whether this is really pure water or not. The whole structure of Simon's book is designed to enable us to see sensible things, that is, things we could reason to if we would, if we had time, if we wanted to. The section on parental authority is very good. Presumably, many of you will be, uh, many who listen to this will be parents or our parents and all our children of parents. So it is good to think out what precisely, in theory, is entitled uh, in parental authority. So the, what gives parents the authority to uh, rule their children. Simone points out that it is by nature always, parental authority is always substitutional. It is naturally substitutional. Parental authority exists by nature and is also substitutional. Thus, parental authority is different from political authority, on which several, on several scores. Indeed, in some sense, it is superior to political authority, though by nature, uh, parental authority is designed to flow into political living. That is to say, when the uh, children become adults, they leave the household, form their own household, and participate in the public life, and that is to say, the life of action. A parent is an active parent so long as a child is unable to rule himself. <clears throat> this is why the definition of a citizen is what it is, the power to rule and be ruled. The power to rule and be ruled. So to be ruled means also that I understand the reason why I can accept the authority because it is reasonable of the uh, parent or the state. A child is only potentially a ruler of himself, though this potency becomes active more and more as he grows up. The parental authority is designed to disappear, and that's why it's different from political authority, which is not designed to disappear. It will always be necessary. <clears throat> Moreover, the family is also by nature designed for the particular good of this child. This is why parental love and rule is by nature itself sacrificial, as I say. Parents can abuse their authority and its purpose. This is why the commandment honor uh, or be obedient to your father and mother presupposes parents who know what it is to be a parent, that is, a natural authority. In principle, 
every human being at all times should be ruled by reason, either his own or that of others, in the case of children, by his parents. So the parent's reason is what substitutes for the child's reason to protect him and guide him. In the case of parents, it is their reason which substitutes for that of the child until such time as the child can rule himself as an adult. The last section of this book, The Freedom from the Self, is especially good and something that follows from the notion of gift and having our good also outside of ourselves. In page 152, Simone says, Knowing is the creature's best chance to overcome the law of non-being, the wretchedness inflicted upon it by the real diversity of that which is and to be. A thing which is not God, this is a very important sentence, a thing which is not God cannot be, cannot exist, except at the cost of its not being what it is not. So you have to be yourself. If you try to be something else, like a tree or another person, then you no longer cease to exist. So your existence is at the expense of not being some other existence. To continue, it cannot be except by being uh, deprived of infinitely many forms and perfections, which you don't have by nature. To this situation, knowledge, according to the words of St. Thomas, is a remedy inasmuch as every knowing subject is able to have, over and above his own form, the forms of other things. Again, that's page 152, a very important sentence. So the fact that we can have other forms besides ourselves means that the fact that we cannot be something else doesn't deprive us of some awareness and knowledge of what is not ourselves. So the world comes back to us through knowledge and the world which is not ourselves. That is a very insightful passage, as I mentioned, and you may need a few years to digest it. To have the form of something is to know what it is. I, have the, I know it's a dog. I know it's uh, this dog and not a cat or not something else. We do not give ourselves our own basic goodness. As Simon has said, it is already present in us. We cannot be something or someone else, nor do we want to be. So recall what Aristotle said about friendship, that we do not want our friend to become someone else or ourselves. We want the goodness of what is not ourselves to exist. We want our friend to be our friend. We want that thing to be that thing. Sins of envy mean that we do not accept as good the real goodness outside of ourselves. But the affirmation of what is good, the freedom from ourselves, in the is the freedom from ourselves in the sense that we can see beyond ourselves. We can Freedom from the self means I can acknowledge something else that is good because I don't see it as in competition with myself. So recall book one of the ethics. Someone 
or defines his happiness as his own pleasure or usefulness or power. Someone who does this uh, spends his time seeing all things not for themselves but in relation to his own personal good as he sees it. The paradox is, of course, as Aristotle also said, that to will the good of another is, in some sense, also to will our own good. That is, we are not deprived of appreciating the good of another because we are only concerned with ourselves. So if we're only concerned with ourselves, we cannot appreciate the good of another. Simon distinguishes between transcendent truths and practical truths. He makes the point that free agreement on transcendent truths is the basis of the higher things. So we all agree that this thing is that thing. This agreement must itself be based on actually seeing the points of agreement. <clears throat> Otherwise, we have no uh, uh, relation to others. That is, say we, we, we actually agree that we see the same thing. Tolerance, in this sense, merely means disagreeing but getting along. That is okay as far as it goes, but it leaves a kind of abiding emptiness about questions of ultimate meaning, that is, say tolerance does, which is the pure, which is the purpose of the mind to pursue. We will see this a little later in another book in Schumacher, but the basic definition of truth is simply the adequatio mentis at re, the conformity of the mind to reality. You will recall the the little peroration of Aristotle in Book 6, where he talks of the fact that the mind, in all its activities, seeks the truth appropriate to the kind of reality that is known. Authority in intellectual matters is something that can enable us to come to books, ideas, truths sooner and easier than if we were left by ourselves. But ultimately, all faith, all seeing, depends on someone seeing and testifying, witnessing to the thing that is seen. This is true both of things and arguments. Someone might urge you to read, say, Aquinas, but having been urged, you still must read it. Simon says, there are three kinds of students, as you recall. Those who seek grades, those who already know all the answers, and the eminently teachable. For grades, so there's a chapter in my book, Another Sort of Learning, on grades. Grades are designed to find out which are which. Which kind of student is in for a grade, which for his own knowledge, and which for the truth. The authority of uh, a class hopes that all members are of any class are eminently teachable. So this is the end of the second reflection on Simon's book, 
on the general theory of authority, which in general talked about the nature of, uh, of authority in necessary things in politics and families uh, because of the arguments about the unity of action and the material willing of the common good and the need of authority in um, uh, matters of truth. So in the case of a witness, he says, for example, the witness is someone who simply saw something. But since he saw it, he is a witness to the truth of what he saw and may be required to testify to that point. And that the teacher is someone who has authority and his authority uh, enables the student to go to the essence of arguments and things faster than the student might by himself. So this is the end of the second section. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.